Sydney is a bustling metropolis located in the state of New South Wales in Australia. And Sydney's famous for things like, you know, the Harbour Bridge, the Opera House, Bondi Beach, and Charcoal Chicken. But if you drive four hours west from Sydney, you will arrive at a small town called Young, which has a population of around 10,000 people. Young is known for its fertile soil and for its production of cherries, inviting many tourists to the area to do cherry picking, and has been known as Australia's cherry capital, hosting events such as the annual National Cherry Festival. And I've heard that the cherries at Young are cherry good. <laughs> you must be thinking then, Young is a great town, and it is. I've never been though, but you should definitely visit. But unlike its name, the town of Young is actually not that young. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> In fact, it's been around for quite a while. And unlike its modern reputation of being a cherry capital, it's actually got a dark side to its history. G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to another episode of the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who don't know what it is, the Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast about Chinese and East Asian history. If you like this type of content, please subscribe to my podcast right now. Follow me on my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast and also visit my website where I've also got written blog content as well. Today, we're going to talk about a piece of Chinese history close to home, or my home, shall I say, in Australia. I first learnt about this piece of history during primary school, that's elementary school for you Americans, when I was around 10 years old. And it's always been a source of intrigue for me, as this story involves Chinese Australians, a group that I'm a part of. But I think this topic in particular will be relevant to everyone else as an example to use to understand more about racism and race relations. So, what am I going to talk about today? Today's episode will be about the famous, or the infamous, Lambing Flat Goldfield Riots. This story is set in Australia in the mid-1800s. Now back then, Australia, the country we know it as now, did not exist. Rather, in the 1800s, Australia was governed by six self-governing British colonies. In 1851, gold was first discovered in Bathurst, which was a town in the colony of New South Wales now better known as just the state of New South Wales. And it was only a few specks of gold, mind you, but that started off an interest in looking for more gold. And soon after, more and more gold was being found across all of New South Wales, and then across the border in the colony of Victoria, presently better known as the state of Victoria. The finding of gold began the famous Australian gold rush. And within a year, more than 500,000 people settled into places across New South Wales and Victoria to search and mine for gold. 
These people, these gold miners, were also known as diggers. Now, these diggers came from a lot of different countries. Some grew up and were from Australia, but most of them were Europeans, from Britain, from France, from Germany, from Italy, even from the United States. But, there were also a lot of Chinese people who also flocked to these goldfields. And the first big group of Chinese people, the Chinese Australians, were actually these gold diggers who started arriving in Australia from 1854. By 1855, there were around 17,000 Chinese diggers working the goldfields. Most of these Chinese people came from the southern Chinese province of Guangdong. And these Chinese diggers firstly settled in Victoria to mine gold. In early 1860, the Chinese miners in Victoria had gotten wine that there was also gold in New South Wales. And then they travelled to New South Wales in droves, firstly going to the Snowy Mountains, but then they found out that there wasn't much gold there, rather there was a lot more snow, because it was this, because you know, it was the Snowy Mountains. <laughs> no one knows for sure who found gold at Lambing Flat in New South Wales, but by September 1860, there were large numbers of Chinese diggers at a sheep station called Burrungong, spelt B-U-R-R-A-N-G-O-N-G. Presently, this place is a few kilometres west of Yang, and one of the goldfields in this Burrungong area became known as Lambing Flat. And if you want me to spell it out, Lambing Flat is spelt L-A-M-B-I-N-G-F-L-A-T. By October 1860, there were around 500 Chinese diggers out of a total of 1,700 diggers in this area, which was almost a third. And by the next month, in November 1860, there were around 4,000 diggers digging in the Lambing Flat area. But with all these people mining for gold, there was no police force, surprisingly, monitoring the whole situation. And this would become an issue later on. It's important to understand that the Lambing Flat Riots was not a single event. Rather, it was a series of conflicts that occurred between the European and Chinese miners between late 1860 to 1861. Let's just say, when the Chinese arrived at Burrungong, they weren't given a red carpet welcome by the European diggers. There was obviously peaceful and friendly interactions between the Europeans and the Chinese, and it's something I'd like to believe, anyway. But in general, the European miners, who consisted mainly of, you know, white Australians, white Americans, and white Europeans, didn't really like the Chinese. There were a few reasons for this. The Chinese were better at mining gold than the Europeans. Why? Well, the Chinese unlike the Europeans, worked in large groups of around 100 people, with a leader. And this sort of structure gave them the opportunity to mine at a much larger scale. And because of that, they were able to extract more gold than the Europeans, who usually worked alone or in small groups of a few people. Therefore, the Chinese, using their large groups, built infrastructure such as dams to aid in the gold digging. 
Because of this, because of the fact that the Chinese were able to dig more gold than the Europeans, this made the Europeans jealous. And adding to the fact that the Chinese looked completely different from the Europeans, their language was completely different, and their cultural habits as well was completely different. The Europeans began to hate on the Chinese, thinking of them as these weird foreign species and wanted them out. On the 13th of November, 1860, the European miners gave the Chinese miners a notice for them to leave Lambing Flat. But the Chinese did not leave. So on the 9th of December, 1860, around 50 Chinese miners were driven off by the Europeans off Lambing Flat. These sorts of conflicts went on into the new year. Basically what would happen is, the Europeans would drive the Chinese away. Then the Chinese people will hide for a bit, and then go, okay, coast is clear, and then return back to the goldfields in small numbers to mine again. Then the Europeans would find out, and then they'd drive them out again, and then that sort of repeated. The largest scale of these conflicts, though, came on the 30th of June, 1861, when two to 3,000 European gold diggers attacked 2,000 Chinese gold diggers. The Europeans were armed with all sorts of things, from guns to pick handles. They charged down to the Chinese camp, looted the possessions and attacked the Chinese miners. And these attacks on the Chinese were brutal. You know, the Chinese tents, they all got burnt down. Chinese men back in the day were these pigtails called cues. And the Europeans would come and grab, these, grab their pigtails and just cut them off. And then a lot of the Chinese got scalped as well. Yeah, like, it must have hurt a lot. You know, you can ask the European miners and they go, oh, I wasn't that bad, oh, no one was killed in these riots. I mean, yeah, no one was killed, but you, pfft, you burnt their shelter, you took all their stuff, bloody scalped them. I mean, I mean, how much more suffering do they need to suffer, right? Anyway. Police response to these riots was slow. For example, in this 30th of June 1861 riot, it took a week for the police to arrive to put a stop to the riots. And they only arrested the ringleaders. You know how many people that was? Only three people. Yeah, yeah, you heard that, didn't you? Two to three thousand people participated in these riots, but they only arrested three people. I mean, bloody hell, man. Jeez. And you know what's funny? Out of the three people they arrested, they released two of them the next day. You know why? Because the rioters decided to have a go at the police and attacked the police in protest, and they had to let them go. That's just ridiculous, mate. Like, what's the point of law enforcement when you can't even enforce the bloody law? Anyway, eventually, the government of New South Wales sent in an army from Sydney to Lambing Flat to keep the peace. And they had to stay there for a full year to make sure that the European gold diggers didn't dare cause trouble again. So you can imagine all the hate and all the frustration that had been brought up in these Europeans against the Chinese for them to riot like this. And as much as it was about the gold, it was definitely a racial riot for sure. It was basic, it was the Europeans saying, you're different, you do different things from us, you're doing better than us. We don't like you. We want you out. Simple as that. 
Whilst the Lambing Flat riots focus on the rage, aggression and the cruelty shown by the white gold diggers, we can't just generalise all of them saying that they were all aggressive, they were all belligerent during this riot. There were white people who knew what they were doing wasn't the right thing, and sympathised with the Chinese gold diggers and even helped them. One example was a settler named James Roberts, who had recently settled with his family at Marumbara, 20 kilometres south of Yang. Having heard of the attacks on the Chinese miners, Mr. Roberts welcomed the Chinese miners into his home. There, the Chinese were sheltered and they were hid from the rioters by the Roberts family. The family also fed them and tended to the Chinese people who were wounded by the attacks as well. All in all, over 1,200 Chinese miners had received assistance from James Roberts and his family. We managed to snag an interview with James, and this is what he said. <clears throat> yeah, nah, mate. I recently just came here, you know. I know about the gold and all the fights that are happening. Yeah, it's not really good, mate. Why can't everyone just be mates, you know? Get along. No matter who you are, white, Chinese, black, Eskimo, I'll help him out regardless. Bless James, what an angel. The Lambing Flat Rights are one example of the discrimination that the Chinese felt in Australia in the 19th century. There were other Chinese rights in other places too, for example the Buckland Riot in 1857 in Victoria. During the Lambing Flat Riot, the Europeans displayed a flag, which was a Southern Cross superimposed on the Scottish St Andrew's Cross, you know, the cross on the Scottish flag. On this flag was a message, quote, Roll up, no Chinese. This flag, this anti-Chinese flag, was displayed everywhere by the Europeans during these riots. And if you want to know what this flag looks like, it's still displayed in a museum in Yang. And I'll also post up a photo on Instagram for all of you to look at as well. The effect of these anti-Chinese rights had a much larger effect though. It was evident that there was animosity between European and Chinese people, and that the European settlers weren't a fan of the Chinese presence at all. These rights led to the New South Wales government passing the Chinese Immigration Act in November 1861, which restricted the number of Chinese allowed to mine on the goldfields as well as increasing levies for the Chinese gold diggers. Victoria had also passed a similar law earlier in 1855. It was evident that the government had obviously thought that it was the Chinese people's fault for causing the riots, not the actual people, the Europeans, who actually rioted against the Chinese. I don't really understand that logic, but anyway. It is what it is. These laws discouraged Chinese people settling in Australia, and many Chinese people returned to China when there wasn't that much gold left to mine. And the Chinese people who stayed moved on and took other jobs. Anti-Chinese laws like these, which stemmed from the conflicts on the goldfields, led to the infamous White Australia policy being enacted across all of Australia from 1901 which were a series of policies that prohibited 
non-Europeans, such as Asians, from immigrating to Australia. And these white Australia policies were enacted in Australia all the way until 1973. So I guess the takeaway is, these sort of racial conflicts stem from difference. And even if you're not Australian, you can definitely relate to this story in a way. These Chinese diggers obviously were minding their own business, but because they were doing better than the Europeans, they looked different and they talked differently, and their culture was completely foreign to the Europeans. They became a target, and they became a group that was convenient for the Europeans to blame for their own problems. And it was from these conflicts that we saw a greater imposition of discriminatory law applied in Australia. And hopefully, from this story, you can learn and understand better on why racial conflicts occur, how they occur, and how we may prevent things like this from happening in the future. In my opinion, this all could have been avoided with a bit more communication and a bit more understanding of each other's cultures. But obviously, that didn't happen. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode of the infamous Lambing Flat Goldfield Riots. I hope you all learnt something new. One thing I do want to add though is that for all your listeners out there, if there's anyone who knows someone who knows a story about a Chinese gold digger or a European gold digger who had experienced these riots, you know, if there's snippets of their stories, please let me know. I'd love to hear more about, you know, first-hand accounts like this. I also wanted to reserve special thanks to Juanita Kwok, who is a historian and heritage consultant based in Bathurst in Australia, because her journal article, The Lambing Flat Rights and the Chinese Quest for Compensation, really helped me understand the events that transpired on these goldfields in 1860 to 1861. And yeah, don't forget to subscribe to my podcast, follow my Instagram and check out my website. I'll leave all my details in the description box below. Okay now, time to mine some gold and, I mean, get some rest. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now. Oh yeah, and for those of you who are wondering why we hadn't posted episodes for a while, it was because I just wanted a break, really, yeah. Anyway, I'll be posting more episodes from now. Alright, bye.